Welcome to the Real Estate Syndication Show. Whether you are a seasoned investor or building a new real estate business, this is the show for you. Whitney Sewell talks to top experts in the business. Our goal is to help you master real estate syndication. And now your host, Whitney Sewell. This is your daily real estate syndication show. I'm your host, Whitney Sewell. Today, our guest is John Blasford. Thanks for being on the show, John. Thanks, Whitney. Appreciate it. With $7 million in his historic tax credits received, 95 apartment units by the next year, $9 million in syndicated assets and a value by the next year. Uh, John is the founder of Kunst, a real estate developer and syndicator in Cincinnati, Ohio. Since 2013, Kunst has syndicated 12 multifamily projects with 95 total apartments completed or under construction. Kunst has used more than $7 million in historic tax credits to reduce risk and increase returns, even in an economic downturn. John believes in historic preservation, good design, and treating tenants as customers or members. John, thank you again for your time. Give the listeners and myself a little more about, you know, maybe your business strategy and, and where you're located. So we started the company about 2013, full-time since 2015. As you mentioned, we've done a lot with the historic tax credits, which is a strong program here in Ohio. And then, you know, it's also a federal program. It's helped us over time, I think, kind of provide greater returns and, and maybe take a little risk out of the projects because we kind of get money essentially from the government independent of the performance of the projects. So, of course, we, you know, we underwrite the projects and make sure they work on their own. But the historic tax credits really help especially going through different economic climates and kind of what might happen with the rental market over the next year or so. But, you know, we've tried to make good use of those programs and learned a ton about them and use them as much as we can, basically. What is a historic tax credit? I mean, I've heard of that a lot. I think I understand what it is, but, but just in case the listener, you know, has no idea what you're talking about, what is a historic tax credit? Yeah. So I think effectively, in which I think is a great program, the government was trying to incentivize historic preservation. So, you know, there can be cases made, you know, to tear down significant historic buildings or to renovate them poorly to save money. And so the government is trying to incentivize developers to, to save these historic buildings. And so it's a program that's federal across the entire country. And then most states have an additional program, including a strong one here in Ohio. And so if you preserve the building and you keep certain features of it, they essentially give you a credit for part of that construction costs. The state credit is 25% here in Ohio, and the federal credit is 20% anywhere across the country. And so it depends state by state how you can use that credit. It can be a cash refund as part of your tax return, which is really powerful here in Ohio. It's literally cash when the project is done. And the federal program can be used against your federal tax liability. If you're a real estate professional, like most of us, or if you have passive income or have investors or something that does, then essentially 20% of the project costs becomes the credit, and then they can use that against their federal tax liability. So it's really the government incentivizing, I would say, good historic preservation of, of significant buildings. Doesn't it cost a lot more to repair buildings, though, that would meet that historic guideline, I guess? Yeah, it can. And I think that's why a lot of people don't want to pursue the program. There's documentation. You might have to save things. It can be an annoying process. But from our perspective, to keep an original floor, to keep a old wooden door rather than building a new one uh, can often be cheaper if you have people that know what they're doing and you know you don't have to custom fabricate things stuff like that uh, can actually be pretty cost effective even keeping original windows things like that which can be very expensive new 
so the cost can can often be, I think, fairly similar, but then you receive a big credit on the back end. So it becomes totally worth it. So what about finding a general contractor or carpenter or somebody that's uh, willing to work or have the knowledge, I guess, or skill set to work on a historic home or building or something like that? Is that a problem or an issue at all? It can be hard to find people that, I guess, can do a lot of these trades if it's plaster or restoring old floors or you know custom wood doors and windows. But that's part of, I think, what we've built up over the years. You know, you find some at the beginning and they don't work out like any subcontractor and you get burnt enough. And then, you know, hopefully over time you find the good ones. We found that. And I think there are more of those people around than it seems. I think it's easy just to, you know, go to Home Depot or order something online. And, you know, we do tons of that. But, you know, maybe it's a little extra energy to find a local carpenter that can build it, maybe custom. But if 25 or say 45% of that cost of that is going to be deferred essentially by the government, then uh, it can be worth it. So tell me about how it takes out risk. You mentioned that a couple of times. In that sense, it's independent. As soon as you know, you have to get the credit and it's it can be competitive and it it takes documentation and things like that. But effectively, once you get it, it doesn't matter if nobody rents the apartment or if your rents are lower than you thought or whatever happens kind of with the economic climate, you're going to get that credit. So it's in a sense, 45% of the project cost is taken off the table just by this credit independent of the performance of the project. And again, you know, you don't want to do a bad project just for the sake of getting the credits. But if it's an otherwise a good project, it becomes even less risky because a lot of the money is coming out you know, with these credits. Are sellers going to want more for their property because you're going to get these credits? They might drive the price up, you mean? Yeah, that's right. Just be, no, you know, they're going to say, okay, you, Mr. Buyer, you're going to get these credits. So this is what it's going to cost. Right. Yeah. We might not want to advertise it too widely that we use them. You know, we're lucky here. Almost every building in the neighborhood where we're operating over the Rhine here in Cincinnati is eligible. You know, a savvy buyer might say, oh, it's, you know, tax credit eligible, but there is still a process to get the credits. It's not really automatic. So it's kind of, I think it's hard to include that maybe in, in the price. Are there specific types of buildings that are going to get this credit or what are some a typical guidelines, I guess, when you're looking for properties? Are you focused on properties that are going to get this tax benefit or on historic properties? Is that your main thing? That's certainly become our niche, I would say. We're in a great city, a great neighborhood for it. And it's, I think, such a great program that it's, we probably wouldn't do a building right now that you couldn't get the tax credits. So yeah, we certainly evaluate if a building comes available, that's kind of the first box that we need to check off that the tax credits are possible. Where do you learn about something like this? So somebody's in Texas right now and they're thinking, well, wait a minute, you know, wonder if I could get some of these tax credits. How do you learn that? The federal program is administered through the National Park Service. And I would say their resources are good if maybe dense, but the, you know, the federal program is the same across the country. And then each state by state, it's administered by some group in your state for in Ohio, it's the Ohio Development Services. And their resources, I would say, are quite good. Um, they'll tell you, you know, how much the credit is for, what it can be used against, kind of what are the guidelines, what's the application look like, all that. And it does vary a little bit state by state in terms of how good that program is and what's required to go into it. But it's pretty much a national, the federal standard is pretty consistent, you know, across the country. What about just the requirements or the documentation and paperwork like you've mentioned a couple of times? Could you elaborate on that a little bit just so we know what we're getting into? Yeah. So essentially, you start with the building, you apply for the credits, and the main part of that application is documenting what's currently there. So you, you, know, you take a photo throughout the building of different angles. You put that on a photo key 
so that the reviewer can kind of tell what they're dealing with, what you're dealing with. And then you say literally in a text document what you're going to do. So you can see in the third floor, all the original floors are there. We're going to keep those. There's six original doors that are there. Those we'll keep. The 10 new doors, we're going to do a new door, which looks like this. So it is quite detailed, I would say, in that respect. Um, The one good thing is it's kind of the same from building to building. So it's pretty painful the first time. But then after that, it's like, okay, you keep the original floors, you keep the original doors. And that part of it actually stays fairly consistent. So, but yeah, so you document each kind of treatment, they call it. And that's just a text document stating what you're going to do. And effectively that gets reviewed and approved. And at the end, you just have to do what you said. And so there's a certification at the end of the project too, which you submit and you say, hey, we we said we're going to do this and we did it. Um, And there's some back and forth at that point too, but hopefully you don't screw it up. Do you know all that, say, before you close on a project? Can you do some of that during due diligence as far as figuring out everything that's going to have to be done and if you can actually get the tax credit or not? Yeah, you could probably sort of informally see, because I could imagine, and sometimes it comes up with like, okay, could you put an elevator in the middle of the building? And maybe that would really be required for a project, but that could come in conflict with the tax credit. And so those kind of things you can sort of approach informally and just ask the state reviewers and, you know, what they would think, you know, they have the same incentive in it. You do that the project gets renovated and that it's, it's done well, but until you formally kind of submit it, you don't know for sure. So that part of it can be tricky, especially if it's a building that may require something big or a new addition or something that might be sort of outside kind of the historic bounds. Can you just elaborate maybe on a previous project about how you use this? Yeah. So for example, actually the building I'm in right now is three bedroom apartments and we got a $70,000 state tax credit. We finished the project last year. And so this tax season, the investors will get $70,000 as a cash refund on their returns. And that was on $100,000 invested. Effectively, you know, 72% literally of their initial investment is coming out of the project two years into their investment and one year after the project is complete. That's pretty powerful. And then that's in addition to everything else that's good about real estate and you know, depreciation. And now, you know, we're making money on rents and all that and the, the asset appreciation. You know, effectively 75% of their money came out when the project was done. And then we actually did a cash out refinance earlier this year. So they're gonna have all their money plus some out pretty quick and still own, you know, most of the building. So that sounds pretty good. It's annoying, but it, it's documentation. It, it's nothing crazy. And it's it's one of those things you just go through it and it's kind of documentation pain. But if, I mean, in a sense, if the government's going to give you, you know, 45% of your project, it's hard to turn down. Yeah. It's developing a process, right? I mean, just making sure all your I's are dotted and your cross or your T's are crossed, right? Yeah. We have, yeah. We have documentation from previous projects. We can use a lot of the similar language and, you know, it's just, it's a wood floor from one building to the next. It's wood doors from one building to the next. And a lot of it's kind of carries over and we know enough about the project and we have a good relationship with the people that administer it in Columbus. And it's it's become a real tool for us. And, you know, we're not the only ones. There's a lot of people doing it in Cincinnati and certainly in Cleveland and uh, around the country taking advantage of this program. What's the typical age of a property like this? Like what's too new or, you know, the vintage? Yeah. So ours are all typically before 1900 or into the early 1900s, depending where the building is, there's kind of a, it's like a period of significance. So that's the time period in which it was part of the kind of historic character. And I don't know exactly what that is for over the Rhine, but I think it probably goes until the 1940s. So, you know, there's a broad range there. They started in the you know 1830s and probably a hundred year time span where all those buildings would uh, would be part of it. 
what happens if you mess up or you don't do it just like you know you intended or you make a mistake? Yeah. So there's a review process at the end. You know, there's always an opportunity to fix it. And you know, they would never want to deny you just offhand. But depending what it is, that fix could be really expensive. If you use the wrong windows and there's 50 of them, you know, that could be a forty thousand dollar fix. So there went your credit. Yeah, exactly. And we haven't gotten into too many issues like that. I, I've heard of some, you know, they get to the final stage and they never got something approved. If it doesn't agree with what you basically said in the document, then it's, uh, you know, it can be bad, I guess. What's the biggest investor objection to historic properties like this? Fortunately for us, we are doing a complete renovation and that's part of the historic tax credits. Actually, you have to invest more than you bought the building for. There's kind of a minimum investment. So the idea is you're not buying a building built in 1910, maybe renovated in the 60s and everything's outdated. I think that could be really tough. And that's, I think, a criticism maybe of old buildings is everything's outdated. In our case, we're doing a complete renovation. It's all new electric, it's all new plumbing, all new mechanicals. And, you know, there's of course, annoyance that goes along with that. But when we're done, we know that everything is is good and should last for a long time. So in that sense, I think the investors are totally on board. Part of the pain is it does take time in addition to normal construction time where you, know, you have to apply. It's only in two rounds every year. And so you know it adds to the total project timeline. I think that could be a real potentially an issue. But typically, you know, they're the ones benefiting most in these projects because they're going to get the state credit, which is cash, and a federal credit, which might help them pay much less tax. And so they're, I think, very pro the tax credits. Sure. Okay. So, so it sounds like floors, doors, exterior characteristics, things like that, they're going to have to kind of stay the same. But like you're going to update all the systems, the electrical and wiring and HVAC, all those things, you're going to redo all those. Yep, exactly. Yeah. You know, it's heating and air conditioning. We have in all of them now and electric, you know, so there's no restriction around that. They want you to modernize the building and you can put in new windows and you can add storm windows and you can uh, certainly add insulation and heating and cooling and, and all the modern amenities. There's no restriction really around that. They care mostly about the interior and exterior character of the building. So John, what's been the hardest part of the syndication business or journey for you? I think there's an idea of like, okay, there's money in real estate and I want to own real estate and that's going to make me wealthy and something. But I'm sure as you know, as a syndicator and probably people listening, you know, well, how do you actually get paid? That's the question, right? And even a fantastically successful project, you know, you're not a millionaire even off of great rents necessarily. And it's mostly other people that are investing the money and they're going to keep most of that. So a big question is how do you make money? How do you get paid? How do you, you know, pay your bills and hopefully get wealthy? So there's that, you know, we're now five years in and I think are kind of just turning the corner of like, okay, now we're actually making some money, you know, personally. And we, you know, we have some ownership in buildings and that's great, but you, know, you can't eat that. So I thought of recently, like, you know, net present value, you know, all the cash flows, what that's worth today. And you can't eat a net present value. So you have to figure out a way to get paid. That was the hardest part for you. You had to figure out a way to get paid. Yeah. Not necessarily romanticize the idea of being real estate. It's like, okay, there's plenty of awesome things about it. You know, you're investing in donating half of your profits to a cause. And I think I'm interested in historic preservation and design, but it's hard not to romanticize it and just like, okay, well, what are the fees? How do I get paid? How does money come out and get to me? And I think that's the biggest learning thing of over the past five years. So what's the way you've recently improved your business that we could all apply to ours besides getting paid? 
You know, I think one thing is if you're syndicating deals, especially early on, you don't have much of a track record. And so you have to think about what you can do well and what you can get paid for. And so with all of these projects, we started out not knowing much, not knowing anything about construction, knowing nothing about these historic tax credits. And we took it to figure it out ourselves and not necessarily pay consultants and in, in all this. And now that's kind of an expertise and that's how we get paid. We, you know, we can get paid to do the tax credits and we can get paid to be the general contractor. And so I think that's what's improved, especially over the past year of there's real revenue coming into us as a company, not just the properties and not rents and all that, which we may or may not see a lot of. Now we have real revenue, which is to be the general contractor specifically and to do the tax credits. And so that's, I think, something to consider, like what can you do really well in the business that provides value to the investors that they're going to pay you for essentially, or the project will pay you for. What's your best source right now of meeting investors? We've had some luck through our website, kind of inbound. And I think we're going to put a lot more energy into that moving forward, just trying to get, I'd say, more inbound interest. You know, the networking piece is important. I, one thing I think I've learned is, you know, you get money in surprising places, friends who, you know, it's tough to count people's money and maybe you shouldn't anyways. And so you don't know who has money and you don't know, maybe their parents do. And, you know, okay, I can't invest, but my boss can, and he's a big wig. And we've had that experience a few times. So I think, you know, not being afraid to ask and not judging or expecting that people don't have money. Judging a book by its cover, right? Yeah. You don't know what money exists in their world. And so it, you know, it doesn't hurt to ask. And I think mostly people are flattered. You think they have money and you want them to join you. So all you can do is ask. What does that asking look like to you? It's in every form, in person, phone, text, email. Basically, you know, you should invest. We have a, f- a bunch of projects coming up. You know, I can send you more information. And that's sort of the lead in. And then, you know, we try to be as concise as possible. It's, you know, some documentation, one document that we can send. Maybe it's a one pager and then more details on a specific deal. And and right now, we've mostly kind of gone deal by deal. Maybe that would expand to sort of more of like a fund structure or something. But I think early on, it's hard to convince people of that. And so we just go deal by deal. This is the project. This is what we're expecting the returns to be. And now we have this expertise, you know, with construction and with the tax credits that we can leverage. What's the number one thing that's contributed to your success? I was just listening to something yesterday. They said, you know, the locus of control, the idea that, you know, you can kind of control being internal, like you can control the world around you. I think that's really important because I think it's easy to maybe hire people that you think know more than you or let somebody else try to figure it out. But I think for us and for me personally, is as much as I can kind of take in my control, at least then it's, it's known, even if I'm going to mess it up. And then, you know, second time is better and hopefully that improves each time. I think taking control of things and of course in construction, even no matter what scale you're doing that at, in our case, we're doing kind of a complete renovation. Stuff comes up all the time and it's easy to throw your hands up and complain, but you can just say, well, this is in my control. Even if, you know, if it's a supplier can't deliver something or whatever, like, okay, we can control a lot of things. You control most things. So that's important, I think. How do you like to give back? As I mentioned, I think the things I'm interested in is uh, historic preservation. We started a a small nonprofit here in 2013, just focused on that for kind of a young preservationist group. Certainly, that's what's one of my motivators is to have a lot of money and to be able to essentially save good buildings. And I think small business in general, when kind of COVID came up, you know, we have a small email list of 500 people, but I tried to reach out to them and say, hey, this is how we can support businesses that are struggling during the COVID shutdown. And we, you know, ponied up a little bit of money to kind of get that started. So yeah, I would say generally like small business, historic preservation, those are kind of my two main interests. 
John, I'm grateful for your time. And I just think you've made me more aware of uh, this historic tax uh, credits that I probably didn't know were out there. But then I, I hope a lot of listeners are more aware of them as well and how you've used them to benefit your business and, and your investors in a big way. Tell the listeners how they can get in touch with you and learn more about you. Our company is Kunst, K-U-N-S-T. It's a German word for art, the idea of renovating buildings artfully. So K-U-N-S-T, uh, the website is www.kunst.us, K-U-N-S-T.us, like United States. And that's my email, john at kunst.us. And then text or call, you can put it out, 513-813-1667. You know, I'm available any form that works. Awesome, John. That's a wrap. Thank you very much. Thanks, Whitney. Appreciate it. Don't go yet. Thank you for listening to today's episode. I would love it if you would go to iTunes right now and leave a rating and written review. I want to hear your feedback. It makes a big difference in getting the podcast out there. You can also go to the Real Estate Syndication Show on Facebook so you can connect with me and we can also receive feedback and your questions there that you want me to answer on the show. Subscribe too so you can get the latest episodes. Lastly, I want to keep you updated. So head over to lifebridgecapital.com and sign up for the newsletter. If you're interested in partnering with me, sign up on the contact us page so you can talk to me directly. Have a blessed day and I will talk to you tomorrow. Thank you for listening to the Real Estate Syndication Show brought to you by LifeBridge Capital. LifeBridge Capital works with investors nationwide to invest in real estate while also donating 50% of its profits to assist parents who are committing to adoption. LifeBridge Capital making a difference, one investor and one child at a time. Connect online at www.lifebridgecapital.com for free material and videos to further your success.